0: Good evening. Those of you who have seen the bulletin board know that there's a whole slew of lectures coming up in the month of April. Next Monday, Mary Clappinson, who is Keeper of Western Manuscripts at the Bodleian Library, will be speaking on keeping Western Manuscripts in the Bodleian Library on monday the sixteenth our old friend ian willison will be speaking on continuing progress in the multi in the construction of the multi-volume history of the book in britain you then get a week off on the thirtieth of april richard sharp concerned with the oxford medieval dictionary will be talking on the difficulties of getting published as a new author in the tenth century A topic specialist, as it may seem, which is nevertheless more general than the topic for the week following, which is Rosamond McKittrick, who is a fellow of Newnham College, Cambridge University, speaking on how to get yourself published as a new author in ninth century France. And that is the array of treats for the next month or so there will be a reception immediately following this lecture in book arts press which is room five oh two our speaker has laid out some of his work in the back of this room the order of proceeding is lecture looking at the books in the back of the room to the extent of your interest and reception but i hope that we all agree that this is a one-way progression it is in any event not bringing wine and food into this room so you can decorate the books with it finally the book arts press which as you know has a rapidly accumulating collection of books rejected by all other people has recently been given a nasty copy of the Basqueville bible and it's on the top shelf of the cart in the press room so if you'd like to Fondle our New Baskerville, which you may do with a glass of wine in your hand, Uh, during the reception which follows, please feel free. This lecture, this evening, is co-sponsored with the New York chapter of the Guild of Bookworkers, something we've done in the past, uh, certainly to our profit, and I hope to the Guilds as well. It's a pleasure to welcome Guild members here. Jenny Hiller, the co-chair of the New York chapter, has an announcement.
1: Exhibit, the book arts exhibit, it will have not only book binding on, but calligraphy and so on, paper. Uh, in honor of Polly Adam who is a binder that a lot of us have you known for many years, and the exhibit will last till June 2nd. So if you're welcome. The opening is 22nd of and anybody who wants to come up. and pay them at the Creative Arts Workshop, uh, 80 on Street, is welcome.
0: There' was a very large and very confused conference this weekend on the book arts run by Richard Minsky of the Center for Book Arts and other venues and there were exhibitors and by God, Polly Latmazzarski was one of them and maintained booth hours too uh, selling uh, good clear polyester cases for book objects. Her new venture is called poly case and it's uh Lesson to us all in how to conserve energy. Our speaker this evening is David Werbo from the Thistle Binder in East Hampton, Massachusetts, who is going to talk to our great pleasure about himself. David.
1: Uh, thank you, Terry, and thank you all for joining me today. By a happy coincidence, today is my anniversary. Um, Fifteen years ago, on April 2nd, 1975, the then history professor and now book dealer Gordon Cronin brought me my first professional job as an independent binder. So today is my 15th anniversary. And I think this is a nice (laughs) way to celebrate. I was wondering just how I would be introduced today because. My reputation is primarily as an addition binder. And for sure, I have made addition work um, a specialty of the house. But I also do one of a kind, what I would call uh, studio binding, as well as a good deal of restoration and conservation work, um, both from the very simplest of repairs to the most complex reconstructions and it is from this work uh, on restoration that I have really learned most of the do's and don'ts that I bring to my modern or let me say new work. Um, My approach to design or let me say my immediate goal for a book and for all books is the same and that is I tried to bring all of the elements Of the book, um, both the physical and the uh, intellectual, the form and the content, content, uh, the entire architecture, if you will, together into a single, unified, and well balanced whole. My long term goal, which I think also has a profound effect on my work, is to. When I'm leaving here, I want to leave behind something of real value for the time I've spent here. And I hope that my body of work will embody the highest standards, or let's say the the best um, principles of my generation. To that effect, I think I am a binder of now. I am a man of now, and I want my work to represent the sensibility of now, what that means really is that I don't emulate or try to duplicate the work of any other generation or any uh, past period. I may borrow some techniques and I may even quote directly from a style of the past, as you'll see in at least one of my uh, projects, a 1696 Totentons. But I don't do reproduction binding work uh, or pastiche bindings, and I doubt very much you'll find things like uh, false bands in my work. Although, if we're to believe the advertisements on television, raised hubs are the true sign of good <laughs> binding work. I've brought uh, quite a few slides with me tonight, and I've divided them into two sections the first will just give you a general idea of the variety of my work and a few of the um, uh the themes that are recurrent through the years and the variations of those themes and the second portion which is much smaller was to, po- was to <laughs> originally to show all of the steps in the binding of the largest edition that my bindery has done it was the uh Penny Royal Press edition of *The Wonderful Wizard of Oz*. There were 400 books, approximately a foot square, uh, 20 signatures, full paper binding, in Belgian linen tray cases, and it took five very skilled binders six months uh, to finish the project. We all hated each other at the end. Uh, I lost almost $11,000, and. The glory was that there were four hundred copies of a book that I wouldn't mind showing anywhere in the world. In fact I brought a copy tonight so you can look at it. Um, and with that, uh I'm going to have to go through the slides rather rapidly. That second section, by the way, is drastically edited from 140 slides down to only twenty-five. And what it'll do essentially is show you uh... the way that i mostly make cases many of you i'm sure have seen this method but if you haven't it may be a treat for you because it's not a normal way of case making Um, i think just before i show the slides i want to share with you a thought from another massachusetts man which sort of sums up my feeling about books and why i work in the way i do and is a quote from uh... ralph waldo emerson Uh, almost 150 years a little over 150 years ago and it's that books are the best of things well used and abused among the worst what is the best use what is the one end to which all things go to effect they are nothing but to inspire and I think I'll shoot from there right on I was just going to call slides and I realized that this is one of those great new. First up is Arno Werner, one of my major mentors um, and the master binder who taught me a good deal about bookbinding. Last year, the Houghton Library at Harvard honored Arno's 90th birthday with a great feast in the library. And this year, at age 91, he just as of two weeks or three weeks ago got another schedule of 100 uh, boxes to make for the library. They uh, have estimated that Arno has some 60,000 individual pieces in the library. Most of them, of course, are are uh, little tray cases or what you call the clamshell boxes. And a lot of them are pamphlet bindings, but there are also some major uh, works of his there too, very good to see. This is the uh, the first edition that I did. It was done as my last project with Arnold Werner and there's nothing really to distinguish this book as unique. It could be the binding on any book. There are little uh, leather (coughs) corners. I think um, the only thing I'm proud of with this book is that it was an edition. I did it in six weeks time by myself and I think the workmanship has held up through the years. This is uh, one shot of my bindery. It's an odd slide. Um, You'll see this bench, this is my main workbench, and you'll see this being attacked later on by actual workers. This is another view of the bindery. This is a little room that connects my bindery with my living quarters. The man in the picture is uh, my first uh, uh, client, Gordon Cronin. And thinking of the first client, I remembered first, and I had almost forgotten to share with you the meaning of bibliotech. I'm sure you all read the announcement for today's uh, talk and wondered what a bibliotech was. It's not to be confused with bibliotheca, meaning library but uh, is pronounced and spelled and means um, very much what architect means. As an architect is one who designs and supervises the construction of buildings, a bibliothèque, if it is to stick, and I have used it now for several months, um, is one who designs and supervises the uh, making of books. There were some very specific reasons why I invented that that name. I was surprised after I went through a lot of names and titles that uh, it had never been used before. It seems to hold up from all of the scholars that I have presented it with. Um, I'll tell you later on as we hit specific books why the the title evolved or how it evolved. This is the the first edition that was done in my new bindery uh, by myself. On the right are my first marble papers, and on the left my first major mistake. Uh, the one on the left with the leather spine was a lot more work for me to do. Um, it was very difficult at the time. I didn't have a, a, a lot of knowledge about special techniques that have never been used before. And that the the spine is round. It's like a little tube. Um, I had thought since that's the uh, was a lot more work, that it was going to cost a lot more, and then, therefore, that would be one of the ten deluxe copies. It gave the publisher a lot of problems. Most of the collectors who have it bought both copies, exchanged the marble paper for the leather one, and sold off the leather one. Uh, the second and third editions, again, um, they're, they're rather... Uh, what you would call formula bindings I guess except that the one on the right is my first vellum work and on the left my first paste papers I think in their simplicity they at least begin to show my my center proportion this is <laughs> this is a mistake actually um, this is the first of, of what I call my radiant paste papers, and it was an attempt to incorporate the spine more in the design of the covers than, than I had usually done. Um, this one copy, which is mine, has the paste papers reversed in order. The, the brown is supposed to start next to the brown leather and radiate out from that, and on uh, and this copy I goofed. These three bindings represent the turning point in my career. Uh, The large raven, is that in focus? I can't really, uh, good, okay. Uh, The raven, which I've brought here tonight also, is Alan Robinson's first book. And it had originally been designed, uh, the, the binding that is, by Barry Moser. It was to be a red leather spine and black buckram over boards with the Raven in 72 point type across the front cover the week before Alan came to me with this project I had decided that I would no longer take edition work um, unless I really believed in the book a or loved it because I only have a few years to work in my life and secondly I thought that particularly if they're artist books that the binding should represent part of the whole it should be part of the unit and not simply an afterthought or uh, like the earlier bindings I was doing. Although sometimes those are, are effective and, and good on a book. Um, it's the first time I used a traditional technique like marbling um, in a non-traditional way, combing the, the colors into the raven's wings. It's black on black. It was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Uh, you can't see what you're doing, you know, Really? but it did work out. Um, the boards are hung together with black linen and the paper is separated at each of the joints so that the, uh, the black linen shows there. But I suppose in that sense, uh, the spine is almost like a, a long label. The little miniature, that was my first miniature project. Oops, sorry. Trying to get that in focus. We're at different planes. Most of these photographs were done in my shop, by the way, so uh, some of the lighting was not as good as what it would be today. Now that I know how to do it, um, it was another one of my mistakes. There are forty copy. There are 125 copies of the Raven, by the way. Um, forty copies of the little miniature. I had designed that thinking that I could, as they would 50 years ago, have a die made for cutting the diamonds and for stamping the, um, the diamonds on the leather. But I wasn't able to, at least in the time I had, I wasn't able to get uh, combined dies. And each of those 1,597 little diamonds was cut with a teeny-weeny little pair of scissors. The, um, the book on the left, is The Lead of Letterpress. It's a marvelous book. I also brought that one tonight. Um, That is the first, probably, of what I call my panel themes. And that is where it, I suppose, looks like what is called a three-quarter binding with a leather uh, fore edge and leather spine. You'll see how I handle that in a very different way through the years. Um... I guess this is my first relief binding, and um, it was Alan Robinson's second book. We had a lot of arguments about binding, and Alan really wanted to do something that, again, Barry Moser had designed this portfolio before Alan did it. Um, I took him up to my library, and I was showing him pictures of, of books that had been done all around the world and through various periods excuse me to try to excite him about doing something different and when he came to the binding by faith shannon with the little iris eye um, i don't know the name of the book he said oh god that's great could you do that and i said alan i can do the whole damn whale this is uh... this is the outcome It's the head of the right whale this project was um, alan's contribution to greenpeace uh, he contributed all of the uh, profits from all of the 125 copies. Um, Alan is a naturalist and and works always with animal themes. The, um, the original sculpture was done in wax. Uh, there was a rubber mold made and then 125 polyester resin uh, models made that was worked under the leather. I'm not going to tell you the real problems that were involved with this book. It looks very simple once it's done but uh, it's 21 inches long and 15 inches high and this is the work uh, that excited Daniel Kelm when he was working at the Harcourt Um Daniel saw this little thing that I was working on and eventually joined me and did the second half with me and it has influenced his work ever since um, I'm sorry I don't have more text pages from this book and I, I couldn't bring it because it's on loan at the moment. The uh, It's a wonderful book, An Odd Bestiary. It was Alan Robinson's third book. So The Raven, The Cetacea, and now An Odd Bestiary. This has uh, several things to recommend it, uh, bibliographically especially. Um, each of the 26 animals appears in a box and at that level on the page. And the... Uh, the calligraphic initials were done individually on all 60 copies of the book, and there's a marvelous colophon page with all the alphabet on it. So it's wonderful. The uh, woman who did the calligraphy now owns a very uh, successful restaurant in town. She wasn't able to make it as a calligrapher, but uh, she's very good. What I brought this for is because it's the only picture of the inside of the book I have, and I wanted you to get a sense of the openness of the page. And the typographic pages are very, uh, very regular and very tight, but the entire book feels very open and there are blank pages in between prints. And that's one of the things that influenced the cover design. Um, this is the first time, the, 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 um, the border around the edges is raised slightly above the central panel. And I think this is the first time that I use the typographic page to uh, give a linear design on the cover. That's where it springs from. You'll see this happening more often in my designs now. That uh, the structure springs from the typography. The typography, anyway, it goes on and on and on. And um, the uh, turtle is the symbol for the Cholonadia Press, which is Alan's, the name of Alan's press. Um, I'm not pronouncing it the way it is in Greek, but it means sea turtle. And instead of using one of the illustrations from the text or abstracting that, um, I used that that turtle and then the, the alphabet, of course, from the book. Um, this time I got the radiating paste papers right. They start with the interior red leather hinge and work outward. Um I talk a little bit about hinges because I've recently had another argument with a, a peer. You know there are a lot of binders in our area. and we, we meet for lunch often and we, and we talk and argue. Um, Peter Garrity gave a, a, a talk at our local library last week and he had some wonderful slides of the whole progress of making one book and he had the book at the end. It was nice. But when he came to the interior hinges he said, um, Interior leather hinges really don't have any strength. I always make them out of linen and then I pair the the leather to an inch of its life so that you can see through it and then it's pasted on. Um, It may be true that that linen is stronger than leather. I wonder how strong it has to be um, to hold up uh, for, for the job it has to do. I know that whatever is on the inside has to be sympathetic with whatever is on the outside. And I agree that uh, the linen does work in some cases, but I have uh, dreads of a few of the books I've done, knowing that linen shrinks when it's wet rather than, uh, than expand. Anyway, my, linge, my, my uh, leather hinges are paired very little. Um, they're paired primarily at the very edge where they're tucked into the zigzag end sheet. And they do have strength, especially since I always cut them—at least when I can. I'm conscious of this. I cut them from the double butt section of the height, which is the strongest fiber section. That's something that can be talked about, by the way. I think it's a good argument. My first wooden board books—they were for the publishers of Fine Woodworking and Fine Home Building. Each of those uh, represents ten volumes of the magazine. I did these while. Um, Uh, Edwin Heim was with me in the shop for three weeks and we had a lot of laughs over it the the uh, boards very neatly are from trees chopped down to build the new offices for the publishing company. Um, This by the way when when I met these people it was at the workbench gallery downtown here and uh, I was at a friend's furniture opening and I met the publisher, and he said that he had been thinking of having the first 10 volumes bound. And, and we started corresponding, and he wanted to spend, oh, $50 apiece. <laughs> and uh, it really wasn't that hard, but I did talk him into a hell of a lot more than what he had originally planned on. The outcome was nice. There's a little thistle. Just chose the shape of the board. It's a traditional one. I've modified it since with uh, more recent findings. Here I am uh, sponging paste Papers. This one for the end papers for a book of Bodoni type that was for the IBM Corporation. It's now in their museum. Um, if you look in the back wall, up on the right-hand side, there's a brown paper with some of the red. That was uh, a test piece for um, the papers that eventually I made in an edition for the bestiary that you saw. These papers crop up, by the way, from time to time in other books. I'll get into that later. Um, I did that one on the day that Philip and Dorothy Smith were visiting the bindery, and their initials are in that paper, and the date. The little green one, or the the medium-sized green one, in the middle of the left-hand side with the brown stripe, I did with Nellie Belafet the day she came to visit me. And that has Nellie's uh, initials, NB, and the date in 1983 that she came here are the papers installed in the book. This is the only photograph that I had done, or the only book that was photographed professionally. <laughs> um, I like the way he gave that little noodle twist to the book. I don't really like it. There's my thistle signature, by the way. I should say something about that. Uh, people have often asked me why I call my bindery thistle bindery. Um, there are several reasons. Uh, one is that the thistle, besides being a beautiful flower, is an ancient symbol of strength and longevity and for me it's a symbolic remembrance a reminder that I want my books to be beautiful but I also want them to be strong and durable and last. Um, the thistle is also one of the most used florons in the history of printing both by printers and binders um, either the thistle itself or a stylized version of it or its leaves It's also uh, a thistle that I first discussed with one of my mentors, Leonard Baskin. It was about his thistle that was hanging in the Whitney Museum and the final reason is because my goal from the start was to have a bindery that would be either a co-op or a partnership of several peers. I never intended to uh, be an employer or to have uh, additions coming through that I would do all the work on. And I had thought that five or six peers could work in a bindery cooperatively. We could share the bread and butter work and somehow schedule free time so that we could go off even a year at a time to do research or um, to do our private work. It hasn't happened yet. This is the cover of the book. uh, And another use of the uh, panel uh, theme, as I told you about here. Again, this is a professional slide. Um, It is a panel, and and it was meant to both agree with the vertical format of the pages inside, but it also uh, solved a real technical problem. That book is 30 inches high, and there isn't one skin of calf I could find that would would cover the book. So here, rather than devise a system for hiding the joint, I used a technique that I developed that doesn't require any hiding of joints. Uh, The joints are hidden strictly by the nature of the way it's, uh, of the technique. The panel in the center is raised above uh, the regular board height. Both of the vertical edges are covered before it's attached and then the top and and bottom turn-ins are done on top of the the board that had been previously joined with the spine and and forage. Another variation of the theme. This one uh, was a commission by Knopf Publishers for the um, for the author's copy of the book. It's "The Embarrassment of Riches" by Simon Schama. Uh, it's uh, similar to the last book in that the uh, central panel is raised, except in this case, of course, a different color. Um, here is the central lozenge. The first time I I ever. Um, went directly onto a book with my tools. I, I did the, the lines with a creaser because the uh, first panel that I made with um, very carefully tooled lines looked terrible with that little black uh, stamping of one of the... It's a redrawing of one of the prints from the book that I happen to think agreed well with the text. Um, this is a, a technique I, I hope to use more in the, in the future. Just. It's one thing that I have missed with bookbinding is having the kind of spontaneity of work that I had in my painting earlier on in my life. The book in the box. Uh, notice the gray paste papers here. You're going to be seeing those from time to time. Uh, they were originally done for the Wizard of Oz edition, which is here, as I said. Someday I'd like to have uh, an exhibition of all of the books I've done with, that share materials and see just how different they look. Another uh, of that same theme with the central panel, this is a presidential uh, signature collection for the Reagan White House. Uh, There were five copies done, I think, primarily to raise money for the Republican National Committee. Um, This was the first project, really, that uh, made me decide that I needed a new title. Um, I was hired by a design firm to build this. Um, And if I had used... The model that they gave me, or followed their blueprint, that would have been seven and a half feet tall or thick. They had each of the folders for the presidents was an inch and a quarter thick, and they never thought that if you put all those together, they add up, plus all of the front material and the case itself. And I told them if I built it that way, it would have weighed close to a ton and a half. Did they want me to go ahead? I was now going to charge by the pound rather than by the job. Um, Anyway, I convinced them that I would redesign right from scratch. I mean, nothing is the same as what it was originally. They had an archivist who originally designed the mats. Foolish thing to do since they hadn't even had the signatures yet. They didn't know what the mat was to contain. As it is, there were 40 separate documents, everything from... uh, a calling card that, that was Gerald Ford's um, to a four and a half foot parchment document that was James Madison's and that had to be folded very carefully and matted so that just the signature showed and that's what this was about but uh, it was difficult to talk them into doing anything because they were hiring a binder and and again this is the first time I realized that I had to come up with a title that somehow connoted more than what uh, people expect of a binder. Not that it's any different than what I would do anyway. Another presidential project. um, Please tell me if they're out of focus. I just, every once in a while, get uh, what is that? No? Okay. Rather formula again. Um, in this sense, this, with this particular bind i think it was um, unstoppable the uh... i brought a copy of this book and i'd like you to uh... look at how i handled the the vellum and the paper joint i think it's uh... it's a it's a rather neat thing and, and worthwhile knowing how to do that was the second book by the way that uh... led me to the decision to find a new title I was given that manuscript and told to produce a book. A very unusual job to come into a bindery, but I loved it. Here are two of the uh, principals that I work with. Bruce Chandler on the left is the other half of Chandler Borbo Bibliotex. Um, Dan K- Kelleher, the operator of Wild Carrot Letter Press on the right. This was 5 o'clock in the morning after we had just printed the title page for the Gerald Ford book. Aha, the grave uh, paste papers again. Um, and again, this is, a, this is a job that came to me um, that led to the invention of the word bibliotech for me. I hope you don't get tired of hearing that word. Um, this thing was originally supposed to be a simple box to hold seven artist prints. And uh, I asked him to, to leave the prints off and I would look at them, put some samples of materials together, and make my recommendations. And I had them for about a week, and it occurred to me that there was no reason to make another box for yet another portfolio of prints. I mean, not that it shouldn't be done, but that someone else could do it. There are a lot of people who like doing that. And I called him, and I asked him why he wanted these seven prints boxed together. He said he usually sold his prints individually. He said these he did not want sold individually, that he considered them a series of one image or uh, a series of images that was on one theme and he wanted them to stay together. And I said, well, let's make a book. And I designed this and presented it to him and uh, he was uh, he was so thrilled with the idea that he wrote a foreword which itself is brilliant and edited by an old Columbia man who was my neighbor. Um, it's, I suppose, really an archival binding. Uh, the The mats are... Made of, um, yeah, what is it? I was going to say DeWint, It's uh, Reeves BFK. They're hinged together with black linen. That's the same thickness as the print paper, and the prints are not held in with any adhesive. They're simply slipped in the top between the channels made made by the uh, hinges, and it's the friction that holds them in. Um, notice the position of, the, of the, both the title and the block of uh, the, the, the little decoration on the cover that is the horizon line that I followed all the way through the book both with the block of type the colophon, the introduction and all of the prints they're all in one line it's a simple uh, design theme but it, it's something that I, I work with often is to keep things on one line or level this is the Totentance, the to Stopped Basel Uh, Michel Miriam, 1696. And this was a book that came to me in very, very poor condition. There was uh, nothing left of the original binding to salvage. It was very badly stained uh, and very poorly repaired. And I think at two or three different periods it was repaired. In fact, I know it was. Um, The book was washed twice and the stains still were... Uh, interfering with the images in the book. Uh, so the entire book was light bleached. In fact, Frank Mowry and Babetta uh... did it. Babetta was working for me at the time, and we had washed the book and were disappointed. And then she had uh, a, a summer internship with Frank Mowry and brought the book with her. And it inspired Frank to make that beautiful plexiglass uh, bleaching table. I don't know if you've seen it, it's a wonderful thing. It takes a lot of power. Um, here, the, uh, what I'd like you to notice is the, just the central panel with the frame around the edges. It's a theme I picked up in the binding. You notice the gray paste papers again. Um, usually I, I design papers specifically for a book. Here again um, is that panel in the center. The, uh, the skeleton in the middle, I redrew from one of the prints in the book. Um, instead of giving him a drum I gave him some bones and a skull to tap on and the uh... the border around I must get a better slide of this one it's a hard thing to photograph the border around is is composed of several of the hats that appear on the various prints uh... there's the pope's <laughs> hat and a bishop's hat and I think a tinkers hat and a queens hat and Uh, than a bridesmaid or something, and they're all wound together with a little thistle band. Um, The cords uh, as you'll know, you can see uh, correspond to the cover design as well. They work with it. This is the (laughs) silly little wrapper I made to deliver it to the uh, clients. That's David and Schumann Block's book by the way. It's going to be on exhibition at the CAW next month. This is a new theme I've been working with. Um, This copy of uh, the complete poems of Robert Francis. Robert Francis is another one of my mentors. He's my literary mentor. Um, It's the second volume that I did of this book. The first one was for the publishers to give to him and they demanded that I do a full leather binding. And interestingly enough, Robert Francis is not only a vegetarian, but he's an avid anti-animal parts user. And I tried to talk them out of it, and they persisted, and I wanted to do the book for him. Um, That was several years ago. This book I did just before he died, when he was going blind, and I wanted to do something that I knew that he would appreciate, and something that he could feel that had sharp contrasts and a lot of texture. So I took one of the poem's shapes, and it was a poem that we read together at one point when we first met, and I inlaid that into the cover. Do you notice the gray paste paper under the tooling? No, but it's that same gray paste paper. This is a theme I would like to use more often. Just uh, to show uh, the kind of tests I do with every new material I use, Um, you can see the, the way linen acts is much different than the way paper reacts to moisture the uh... the wet piece on the top right has shrunk almost an inch and a half isn't <laughs> that amazing such a small piece while it's wet um, notice the shape of this poem this is a, a book by swinburne that i got rather cheaply because it also needed a lot of restoration um, this book was not bleached it just needed a lot of mending and it it was washed twice and resized but the shape of the poem again appears on the front cover here again are some other paste papers that you've seen Uh, these were the red to brown paste papers that I used horizontally as in papers for the um, bestiary and here they're used vertically this is a theme I I would like to take a year off I have about 25 books I would like to bind with it's some variation of that theme. Notice the uh, the red title. It's a positioning key for me. And these are the kinds of things, again, that I do with design. Here's one of the illustrations of the book. It's a book called Hermaic. I've brought that also. Uh, Leonard Baskin likes Hermstones. Hermstones are the boundary markers of the estates that appeared from Roman times right up through mid-Europe. Uh, they were originally... Um, carved with the the bust of Hermes uh, who was the god of boundaries Uh, Baskin plays with this theme a lot and the Hermstones usually are wider at the top than on the bottom so that'll appear on the cover very simple handling of paste paper Um, I like this binding Uh, his commission to me was to make a paste paper binding he wanted one of my paste papers so he didn't get what I usually do for him um, it's uh, a special making of Bartram Green's DeWint. It was a special sizing that he was trying years ago before he went out of business. Um, the cover paper is drummed over the boards. It's only it's only glued at the spine and on the turn-ins as well as on the inside. So when you handle that, it's a semi limb binding. The title page for Harry Duncan. I'm going to start moving a little faster. I think we're going slow. You notice that uh, here was the one design element in the book that was really not Harry Duncan-like, was the little ornament. Harry Duncan does not like ornaments much, as you know. Um, The paste papers to enhance the eye level at that point. And then the cover, again, uh, picking up on the typographic page the six bands forming the five panels that represent the five essays um... just a repeat of course of the gold ornament the, the uh... cords instead of being laced in normally were laid on top of the book and it's a it's a technique that i don't highly recommend um, for reasons that you may know uh, right away i didn't until i did it but the uh... blind tooling lines Uh, represent the the text on the page. Another way in which I use paste papers. um, Here, what is, I think, worthy of note is that I I didn't use my bindery Roman type, which is a nice brass uh, centaur, but um, used the type from the title page to make a line cut. Um, Here's a book I took some liberty with uh, trout fishing on the rapid stream. Um, usually, when when I design a cover, I try to stay either with the artist's own line on the cover, or um, I will use just parts of that, or or to create an atmosphere that doesn't either preempt the artist's uh, design ideas or his linear ideas. In this case, all of the trout in the book were dead. Uh, so, I did take liberties and and made my trout alive. I did use the colors from the book. This is another use of paste papers a little um, what do you call it millimeter binding. The trout was once a happy uh, this is the uh, sort of a happy conclusion to um, an accident several years ago. I was making a little sign for Barry Moser in paste paper. He wanted something just a little different for a day and I made it at night I wrote his initials out or his name and the date and uh, the next day when I came to pick it up um, there was a shadow from the first or second time I had written his name out and uh, I had to do a quick one and and force dry it so the, the, the fish is drawn on the paper before there's any color added it just abrades the fibers slightly and I did that with a pencil eraser And then when the color was added, it really didn't show, but as it dried, it got darker because it received more paint. Notice the scale of these books by the size of the quarter. This was, um, I said I don't do reproductions. As a rule, I don't. This is my one reproduction and the one time I've made false bands. The original of this book is in the Queen Mary dollhouse. It was the Ash and Dean Press, Carmina Safica and there were five copies originally I, that's what I've been told one copy which was St. John Hornby's, went up at Sotheby's four or five years ago and SMU bought it for twenty eight thousand four hundred dollars this in a folder on top of that to hold it in and then the box um, I didn't want to do the book but I told the bromers if I did they had to let me make the box uh, they didn't like it this is uh, Daniel Kelm um, using his new invention, while I was doing those miniatures, doing the gold edges on three sides, the first 75 of them took me two weeks. And I was having lunch with Daniel, and I told him how uh, disgusted I was and discouraged with the time. And he came down to the shop and worked out this model uh, of a—it's a—it's a clamp that holds the book all the way through. The cutting processes, trimming processes, and sanding processes—it never leaves the press, right up to the gilding. He did the second 75 in one day. <laughs> Very clever. This was one of my uh, one of my old students who also worked on the edition with me, and he he devised this little gimmick for sewing the books. And if any of you have sewn miniature books, you would really appreciate this little gadget. Um, these are all the original plates. For the printing of that book, um, they belong to Charles Gould in California. The uh, the pouch on the right is sort of my fun. I uh, the first book that I trimmed, I trimmed on the spine side, uh, so it's a book in sheets, um, and I made a little pouch to preserve it for him. The Bromers are very concerned there where every copy goes, uh, so I uh, in the on the left hand side in the folder is a set of the sheets unfolded and uncut. This is a book also that I brought here today. This is one that very much disappointed me when it was refused for exhibition at the uh, Met in the um, fine binding or fine printing, finely bound show. Um, The reasons I think we don't really have to discuss. They didn't like the fact that the uh, silk was just drummed onto the binding. It wasn't glued down very well. Okay, great. We're going to go faster. Daniel Genrich, uh, Painting the Silk. There were 55 copies of that book. Each of them we did a silk painting for. This is a book that I didn't bind, that I would like to have had. It was bound by a friend of mine. It was originally going to be a a marble paper and leather spine book. Um, I saw the book in sheets at the artist's home, who was a friend of mine, and and I just couldn't imagine this in a cockerel comb marble paper. It just, I mean, it just it was incongruous to me. And I made a sketch for her. She went home and uh, made a plate and, and this is what happened to it. It's just um, to illustrate the way I think that books should be thought of, you know, as a unit. I think... Um, This is the lectern Bible at St. Peter's Church at City Corp Center. The the raised design in the leather um, picks up on the panels from the ceiling of the church. Interesting in this binding, I think, was the inclusion of five vellum sleeves. The original commission was to bind in some plastic uh, photo album sleeves so that they could play around with new text from time to time. And uh, I really didn't like doing that. I put vellum leaves in, slid at the corners. They can put eight and a half by 11 sheets on either side. You see how I continue designs always if I can. It picks up on the headbands, and that goes down into the gold tooling on the spine. Another lectern Bible, this one a little more recent, but again, the panel theme. um, This one, I painted the, uh, the canvas, and the women in the church did the petty point. It's a happy collaboration. Um, I wish this slide were brighter. I wanted to show you the shape of the boards. Uh, This comes from, if you can see them on the top of, uh, next to, they're sort of uh, arrow shaped, I suppose you would call them, a soft arrow. The book was not uh, rounded and backed in the normal way. And it's frequent, I mean, I frequently do not back books, uh, but sew them, this one, on, on six cords. It was flexibly, and um, I've forgotten what you call that, pack sewing. So it was round when it ended up. And by drawing the boards on very tight and lining it properly, it keeps its shape very well. But the boards then have to be shaped uh, to the shape of that shoulder. The this signature. I thought that this one was going to show the hinge. The hinges of this book, by the way, weren't paired at all. Uh, they were used rather full weight and then filled in on the turn-in. Um, Edwin Himes sewing a few books in the shop. He was with me for three weeks. When he was with me, he, for the first time, made his paste, paper, made paste papers and uh, also tried the technique of not pairing hinges and he was frightened as hell and it came out beautifully. Uh, Philip Smith on the day that all these people came and had a great time. Philip Smith paid me one of the highest compliments that's ever been paid me. He wrote in his book uh, that he gave me the, um, to David Borbeau, who knows how to bind books which work. A simple statement, and I was very happy to hear that. Uh, Birgit Lackengen um, I'm showing these things because often uh, people come through from all over the world and usually I get them to work for a day. In Birgit's case, she worked for two weeks. Uh, we were doing the Wizard of Oz uh, and she had never made boxes and she came at just the right time. She's the state librarian, I mean the uh, what's it, the, the state library the, the, in Berlin. I can't remember the name of the library. She's the binder. Don Glaster and the first day of the of the workshop that inspired him to move from California to our area. Um, we had a workshop. Another use of the shop by the way. It's continually used for different student groups or workshops. That man uh has just completed my next project. It's Carl Caesar. He's uh, uh, has an apartment down the hall, graduated from Columbia with a PhD in I think either comparative literature or oriental studies. He was, for several years, the head of the department, or he put together the oriental studies department at Wesleyan, and from his influence in, in coming into the bindery every day for his coffee, um, he has gotten interested in making books. He is now hand printing his own translations of Catullus, a very important book for him, and it's being printed uh, by him, but at Wild Carrot Letter Press with. Uh, on their proof press and they'll oversee the project and we'll bind it together right in that bindery I guess that's it if you'd like I'll stop or I can run through those uh, the addition binding things without much description if you'd like to see them there are 20 slides I can run quickly I, I was going to tell you why I uh, why I, I mean how the design came about this is just uh, the only thing I'll talk about it's um a little gimmick I made for punching the holes um, in the books. I've heard that there's a really nice one made in Michigan that I'm anxious to see. that uh, there were four hundred books, remember. So we're punching the sewing holes signature by signature. Everybody working. After the first eight books, we stopped and I uh, reset that gauge. To punch the holes, I moved the kettle stitches to three and five millimeters from the ends instead of where they were. I didn't like the way they were working way out there. It's sewn with um, a link stitch, as you can see. Another thing that's not usually done in addition work. Uh, It takes an awful lot longer. This is very funny. Their first week, Daniel and Babetta had just come from Germany, um, and we went to an auction about a mile away from my shop, and they bought tons of, of... bookcases and things for their apartment and they moved them on my cart a mile and a half through town <laughs> they didn't want to spend spend the money on a truck coffee break always a lot of fun but better rubbing down the oxford hollows uh, done in the press um, little detail just cutting the tips off of each board so that the fold of the paper will snug right in there these are uh, paper covers the boards are hung together with irish linen and uh, a a little piece of what do you call that stuff? Bristol board (laughs) for spine piece. Um, And here's the case making operation. This is very good. I got a whole series of abetted uh, each of us, by the way, did every process together and on different days or at different hours. Um, It was one of the nice things of working on this edition. Everybody was able to do everything. The pasted off piece is brought to the end of the bench um the boards that were hung together laid down on the paper, the hole turned over, that's a little trick. Um then the the uh the paper cover is nicely fit into the spine area. Turned in. Nice to have a lot of hands for this work. There are again four hundred of these things. Um the I should go back. That's there's a little piece of uh string reinforcing the the uh, head and tail filling in that little nick that we took out with the fold and finally creasing that down again then they all just sit there waiting to be attached Um, the books are hung on to the uh, Oxford Hollow at another stage before this one I didn't think it was necessary to show and here dropping the cover down onto the book rather than drawing the paper up to the cover. And then it's uh, adjusted finally so that there's an even margin all the way around. Didn't have to be adjusted too much. Just final check. Then they go into the press with press boards. And uh, that's a wonderful little press that I don't have anymore. I gave it to Bob Culver when he finished studying with me because he couldn't find anything in North Carolina. I thought it was superfluous, but it turns out it was my favorite. And there's a great picture of Daniel Genrick. I just love that picture. It's so typical of him. I wish Deborah Evans were here. She would recognize that from his internship there. <laughs> um, that was the stamping on the back cover. And I guess that's the end of the day. <laughs> that's just about it. Thank you very much.